You guys can go ahead and be seated. So a pastor was called to come and serve at a older church. It was one of those situations where the church has been around for 80 years. And through that time, it's had its ups and downs. And what's happened over the last 20 years is their congregation has gotten older and older. And the nurseries got emptier and emptier to the point where the, the, the nursery was, was empty. There's no children in it. And the congregation was whittled down to a few. And so they called in a young pastor to try to lead the church back to prominence. And, and he tried everything he could. And for four years, he would make some changes. He'd get fought against in it, and he'd preach. He'd encourage people to study God's word, and nothing really seemed to change in them. They, he'd encourage them to be invitational. They wouldn't bring anyone. And he got to a point where maybe something just broke in his mind, but there came a Sunday morning where he got out in front of his people, and he said, that's it. We're done. Next week, we're having a funeral for the church, and we're closing it down. And he was so serious about this. He said, just so you guys know, I already wrote the obituary for the church and it's being published in the paper this coming week. And sure enough, the obituary posted in the local newspaper of the story of the church and its impending death and that this Sunday they were going to have a funeral for it during their Sunday service. Good to his word, the people came in and as they came in, there was a casket in the front of the church. And he got up and he gave a eulogy And he talked about when the church was planted and the times of prominence and the times of difficulty reaching to this point where the church is evidently now dead. But as the sermon closed up, he said, but I want to share with you, I found a secret that you didn't know about our church. And it's this secret issue that has caused our church to fail. And I put it in the casket and I want you to see it before you leave. And he opened the casket and Just like a funeral, row by row, people walked by and they looked at the secret that was in the casket. Some people got visibly angry when they saw the reason that the church was failing. Some people laughed out loud when they saw the reason that the church was failing. And some people were surprised when what they saw in the casket was themselves because the pastor had placed a mirror inside of the casket. And the truth is, that a church will rise or fall based upon the people of the church. And I, this, I've seen this in play before. My, my pastor, Pastor Greg Paris, he talks about his experience and it's one that has always stood out in my mind. It's such an interesting situation because he graduated from seminary. That's like his Bible college. And he was called immediately and he was a young guy and he was given two small churches of about 50 people. And the churches were in neighboring cities and he would preach at one on Sunday and then he would go and preach at the other. And one of the churches, when he would go and preach, people would be receptive and they, and they would change and they would follow what scripture teaches. And the other church was just committed to their own ways. They were committed to their pattern of living. And it's an interesting thing because he would say, you know, I preached at Union Chapel first and I preached at the other church second. And so the other church always got the better sermon. It was like the 11 o'clock service. Like it's already been run through once. Like they had the advantage. But Union Chapel had, had people who were devoted to prayer. And though they were small in number, they had people who were devoted to fellowship. They had people who were willing to change and their hearts were soft towards God. And so God started to add to their number and God started to take people home from the other church. 
eventually to where the other church folded and failed and Union Chapel is a church of about 2,000 people to this day. Now look, the music up here is excellent, but even if they sang off key, you could still bring your worship before God and come into this place and say, he is worthy and he's worthy of my song. He's worthy of me sitting in quiet contemplation or lifting my hands up in worship. He's worthy of me expressing my heart to him in worship no matter what happens up here. You can come into this place and you can be like, oh, I'm gonna give Paul a grade on how well he does today and whether or not he does things according to the ways that I like them, him to do them and then I'll determine if it was a good sermon or not and that's what all, all that really matters is what I think about what he did. You can come in that way. You can come in and say, I'm going to pray for pastor while he's speaking. When he reads scripture and he speaks about the goodness of Jesus, I'm going to say amen and I'm going to be engaged because God is worthy of my worship as part of the congregation. I mean, I will remind you time and time again that you are not an audience, you are a congregation. You come in here with a spiritual gift. You come in here with something to contribute. And you come in here with a mentality that I am part of a body. I'm not part of someone who is just grading what happens up on a stage. That's not what a church is. And, I want, I, and this is the series that we're in, that we're starting up today. We are the church. A building is, it's easy for our church to say the building is not our church because we don't have a building yet. But I want to remind you, we are the church because we are followers of Christ who worship him. And today we're going to look at the New Testament church a little bit and the description that's given to them as they just got started off in difficult, terrible circumstances, but they got to see the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit working through the church. And we're going to open up to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. If you have your Bible, you can open up with us. We'll project the words up on the screen as I read them. It's describing the church and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a good description of a church. That is a target, that is a goal right there. The mentality of the church, their commitment, their devotion. And if someone were to rewrite that passage to what is culturally accurate and true to the times as you look at cultural Christianity across America, they might come up with something like, you know, the modern day version. This is not a real translation of the Bible. Don't look for it on Google. But here's maybe how the church in America might be described to today. They were devoted to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket lists. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused on themselves. Very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they fought about stupid things. If they sold anything, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. And as a result... Most people disliked them and very few lives were changed. That's an encouraging word for a Sunday morning. Look, this is the encouraging thing is we don't have to be that. It's easy to slide into that, but you don't have to be that. And the, the fork in the road is the decision point where you decide, what am I going to be devoted to? 
Am I going to be devoted to my own comforts and my own fleeting passions? Or am I going to be devoted to something that matters forever? Am I going to be devoted to what God is doing in my city? What am I going to be devoted to? And that's really the key thing because we get devoted about stupid stuff sometimes. Some of y'all wives had to deal with a cranky husband all day yesterday because someone didn't catch a football in the end zone. It's like it hit right off of his hands. I, even I could have caught it. I mean, we see devotion get misplaced in lots of different circumstances. Uh, men, we, like we're guilty of this. It's like, we'll spend $70 on the jersey. We'll spend $300 on tickets. We will paint our hairy chest team colors to express how passionate we are about this game. And I'm not against doing that stuff, but I just want to say it this way. If your passion for sports is at an eight and your passion that you display for Jesus is at a two, you've got priorities misplaced. And I'm all good with being at an eight, but man, let's keep Jesus at a 10. Let's keep the things that will actually help you in life up above it. Let's not get things out of order. It's great to have fun. It's great to plan great vacations. It's great to get the wardrobe that you're excited about, but keep Jesus preeminent in all things. We're gonna look at the passage this way. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First, of all, first point, they were an intensely devoted church. They're intensely devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. If you don't miss, I'm picking on football today because season just kicked off and college football fans are like foaming at the mouth, all right? If you don't miss a scheduled football game, but the things of God in your life are the lowest on the totem pole, there's a problem with your devotion. And the problem I believe rests at what you believe is going to make your life happier, better, more fulfilled. And there is excitement that is gleaned from all kinds of entertainment, but it's hollow in passing when, when you compare it to that of true times of fellowship with another believer, of true times where when you read the word of God, it like hits your heart and it hits your mind and it guides you. There's a misperception of the power of the word of God in our life when we minimize it to a place where it's non-existent except for Sunday mornings at church. If we can watch five games during the week, then we sure better be opening our Bible at least five times during the week. Why? Because of obligation? No, because it's so good for you. It's so helpful. It's so clarifying. This is the way that scripture describes its impact in your life. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says that God's word is like a lamp unto your feet. When you're walking through places where it feels like you don't know where to step and it all feels dark around you, God's word will be like a lamp unto your feet, directing your path. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, it describes the word of God's role in your life as food to your soul. When you feel depressed, when you feel pressure, when you feel anxiety, when you feel like there is a hunger in your soul that needs satisfaction from something, stop turning to scrolling social media, stop turning to a bottle, stop turning to a, a bottle of pills. 
Stop turning to things that are fleeting and turn towards the word of God. It is as food to your soul. Jeremiah 23 verse 29 describes it as as fire that refines you and like a hammer is to rock of breaking off the pieces that shouldn't be there. God's word will correct you and it will refine you. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26 describes it as water that washes away the impurity. Dealing with sin in your life, guilt will tell you to hide from God's word. The Holy Spirit will tell you to dive into God's word because you will understand the grace and the peace of God. You will understand the power of God to overcome sin. Scripture is powerful in your life and it will bring healing to the places that are hurting. You don't need, God doesn't need time to get over your sin the way that you sometimes think he does. If you mess up, I understand maybe your spouse is like, I need a minute before you talk to me again. But God is like, come right back into my presence. And his word is gonna wash away all of the impurities as you study it. First Peter chapter two, verse two, describes it as milk that nourishes a newborn baby. The word of God will strengthen you. It will empower you. But listen, it's not gonna do it through osmosis or diffusion. Like you can't just set it on your face and it soaks in. You have to open it up. You have to read it. You have to study it. And you have to apply it to the relationships in your life. You have to apply it to the places that you make decisions. And as you devote yourself to the understanding and application of God's word, he is going to use it as a lamp unto your path. It requires a level of devotion. It requires displacement in your life. It's like, there are other things that are taking up my time, Paul. I understand you need to push some of those other things off a cliff and you cannot apply that to your spouse, all right? But you can apply it to working extra hours. You can apply it to extra commitments that are not necessary. You can apply it to keeping up to date on social media or your favorite sports team or your favorite TV show or the binge on Netflix that you're planning. Like you can apply it to lots of other things that are sucking up your time. But it requires a level of devotion where you say, I need to, I have to, I have to have this. The early church, they had a devotion to prayer. And this is, this is one that it's like, I'm going to provide for you guys five challenges today that I want you to take one of the five at least. Maybe two or three, probably not all five. All five would be awesome for you, but I want you to cling to one of them. You know, getting in the word is one, prayer. Like when you feel that anger or that anxiety or that depression creep in, you have your normal habits that you go to. Your body, your psychology will naturally say, cling to something, grab something, engage in something to make us feel better right now. It was a bad day at work. Get the bottle down, crack a beer. Like you will have that voice go off in your head when there is anxiety and pressure in your life. And that clue, that hint, that desire for something in itself is not bad. You have just fed that need for correction, the wrong thing for too long. When you have that sense of anxiety and you go to things that you know are destructive, you need to take that sense of anxiety and say, I need an answer to that anxiety, but I know it's not found in that bottle. I know that if I take some time and I I just get after God, I actually stop and pray for five minutes. That God will satisfy the hurting in my soul better than any of those external things could. Now I say this and it comes out like preacher talk, but I need you to understand. I want you to try this. Test this in your life. 
When you're at one of those difficult points this week, take your phone out and put a five-minute timer on it. Set it down and find a quiet place in your house. If you have small children, go to your neighbor's house. Find a quiet place. Go on a walk. Speak out loud to God. Now, I don't, this isn't true for all of you, but if you've never tried it, try it this way. Sometimes when I pray just in my head, I can get lost in the weeds of my own thoughts. But when I pray out loud and I hear the words that I say, it just, it helps me to stay on track better. Try it if you haven't tried it in a while. Five minutes of you just talking to God. God, I am anxious about this. I'm having problems sleeping. It's on my mind. It's on my heart. It has me thinking. And, and I need you to work in it. Show me the ways that I should walk. Show me the way that I should navigate it. Help me to be a carrier of your grace. But give me your will no matter, like pray those things out loud. Five minutes. Get yourself into the presence of God for five minutes and see how your soul is doing. And there is something about hearing about the Lordship of Christ come out of your mouth. There is something about grabbing some scripture and reading it out loud that he has authority over all things, all principalities, that, that, that no one can snatch you from his hand. You begin to read about who Christ is and you read those words out loud and your brain has to reconcile those truths to the things that you're feeling, it's good for you. Because it reminds you that no matter what anyone else thinks, Christ is on his throne. That no one else can disrupt the plans that he has for you. And as you hear those things, it reorders your emotions and your thoughts. Now listen, all of that practice is true, but none of it is going to be powerful until it's put into application in your life. There's something about the kingdom of God that there's prayers that he's not going to give you the answer to until you actually pray those prayers. There's something that he wants to show you of his involvement and his goodness. And so there's blessings that are waiting to arrive until you will actually hit pause and ask him for them. There's blessing that follows the application of living out the word of God. And so studying the word, being in prayer, being devoted to prayer, saying this cannot get pushed out of my life. It's going to help push the anxiety out. One of the second things that we see about the early church here is that they were irrationally generous. Now, as we read the passages that say, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We're like, that sounds dangerously like socialism or communism, Paul. Like, what what, what are we getting at here? I want to explain some of the context of what was happening. For any of the the Israelite people, the, the good Jewish boys and girls who turned towards Christ at this time in the early church, when they made the decision to, to follow the way, as it was commonly referred to at this time, they would have been cast out from their families. If they had a business, any of the other Jewish people around would no longer support them or engage with them. They would go other routes. And so people who followed Christ, many of them would lose their jobs and lose their livelihoods, lose their their place of living and be thrown out from their family. And so the church received them. And the church was willing to pay any cost to take care of those who were turning to Christ. They they were willing to be inconvenienced. They're, They're... Measure of generosity was terrifying to us. But there was an equation in their head that just said, this is worth it. Like helping someone else is worth me doing without those things. 
And there's something that they experienced that people still experience today is that when you handle things, when you handle anything, your relationship, your money, when you handle it God's way, he provides more than what you'll need. Sometimes he'll provide what, more than what you need financially. Sometimes he'll provide you more peace than what you thought you could possibly have. He'll give you peace of being in a situation where you have less and it works both ways. God is not interested in making you financially rich, but he is going to make you rich with blessings of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Things that money cannot buy. And as a church, this is part of the way that your heart was designed to work is that generosity and blessing is supposed to come to you and through you and God continues to fill your cup. And I encourage you, just the same way that I'd say, test God out on if you spend time in his presence and his word and, and seeking after him in prayer, just find out if it's good for you. Same thing with generosity. And you're like, well, of course a pastor is going to say you should give to the church. Look, it, if your experience in the past is so hurt by something that happened in a church that you're like, I just can't give to a church, just give somewhere. Find a place to be generous and see if God doesn't confirm in your soul that you're supposed to be doing this. Test him out. Let him work through you in all ways, your words, your service, your finances. Let him work through you. Stop putting parameters on where God's allowed to touch in your life and allow him to help someone through you and see what it does to your heart and your mind. God has designed us to be a rationally generous church and we wanna to continue to pursue that. And he's also designed us to be intentionally united. Number three, intentionally united. Now, the word fellowship, if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably seen the word koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. It's an interesting word because when you look at it, there's 20 times where it's used as, as a noun in scripture. It's also used as an adjective. And into English, koinonia is described as fellowship in, in your translation sometimes. Sometimes it's translated as communion. Sometimes it's described as like the unity that we have within Christ. And we usually think of fellowship as like an activity with church where there's also food. Like that's fellowship. Fellowship is designed, this is the way that I'd, I'd explain it. It's where the social interaction and the spiritual act, interaction meet between believers. Where you're not just socially together and eating food, but you're socially together and you're having spiritual conversation. And I, I say that this needs to be intentional because it's fun when it happens on accident, but it's rare when it happens on accident. When it's like, we weren't meaning to talk about the Lord, but it just kind of came up in conversation. That's awesome. But let's not default to, we only talk about what God is doing in our life when, it, when we can't avoid it. Like let's reach the point where when we're connected to other believers, we just know we can say, how is your intimacy with Christ going? How, how is your relationship with God? What are you praying about? How can I be praying with you with the things that are ahead in your week? Where's that spiritual interaction? Because across the culture within Christianity, spiritual interaction between believers is rare. And we need to, we need to be devoted to the fact that when I talk to you about faith, it's not strange or terrifying. And I think that our ego gets in the way because we're afraid, what if I don't say it right and someone knows that I don't know as much as I do or if they think less of me because I said something wrong. We need to get over that and be willing to get corrected at times if needed. Also, this is one of the cool things. Maybe this has happened to you, maybe it hasn't. There's times where you engage in spiritual dialogue with a fellow believer where they're gonna say, man, 
I feel like God is giving me a word for you. And I want to encourage you and tell you, you know, you're worried about that, but God has a plan. And you will hear things from other believers that, that will just ring true with your heart where you're like, I know that that was from God. And I'm so thankful that God sent me a message through that believer. It helped me. And that's a cool thing to ha have happen. But man, it's even cool. I think it's even cooler when it happens on the other side. When you're talking and they're talking to you and you feel this impression from God and you're like, I have, God, God wants me to tell them something. Like there's a scripture that God brought to mind and he wants me to tell them. And then you tell them and it like brightens their soul and you're like, whoa, God just even used me. Like I knew he could use other people, but he just used me. And it does something to you because you're like, I got to help them and encourage them and they're lifted up now with wisdom that I never would have had on my own. But it also just reaffirms to you like, oh my gosh, he is there. He's there and he's working through me. And it's an uplifting thing when you engage in fellowship where you're like, God works through his people. We really are the hands and the feet of Christ. We really are the mouthpiece of Christ. We really are the source of compassion and hope on earth. That's who we are. We are the church. It's a cool thing to get to be a part of. But once again, I don't think it happens enough because we just let it happen when it happens and we have to devote ourselves to say, there needs to be, there has to be time in my week where I approach another believer and we say, how's your soul? And I think there has to be a spurring moment where you recognize the value of that interaction with someone else is worth the risk. It's worth the risk of the question. To be intentionally united. So here's, here's your, your buffet that you get to pick from today. I'm gonna give you five opportunities. I want you to grab a hold of one of them this week in a, in a, in a very intentional way. Number one, it could be reading God's word and carving out that time and opening it up and not letting your mind wander to other things, but being devoted to that reading and the study of the word that day. Let it fill your heart, let it fill your mind. Number two, find a place to, to use your gift, to engage in the, the fellowship of serving within the church. Start serving somewhere, be engaged somewhere. Let God speak through you in the church or in the community. Number three, join a small group. Get into that fellowship where, you, where it's a very natural atmosphere. This is what the small groups are for, for that social, spiritual interaction. There are small groups available right now that you can join and go to this week. You can have interaction with other believers and have people in your life. Number four, I challenge you to start tithing, start giving, start being generous and see how God uses it. See how he provides in your life. Or number five, start praying like literally praying, laying your heart and pouring your heart out before God. Not the simple prayer before the meal, but the like, God, this is what I'm worried about. God, this is where I need to see you. God, this is what I know about you. God, your, your will, not my own, be done. And pick one and grab a hold of it and be devoted to it this week. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna begin to close things out. The church, the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to communion, to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to generosity with each other. 
And, and God's power works through them in a tremendous way. And I want to share Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 with you. This is a verse that was actually, uh, long before we launched, we, we got some magnets printed where we asked people to pray. And this was the verse that was on that magnet. And it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Now listen, there, on those, any of those five challenges, I will with confidence tell you, there is a blessing on the other side of putting those into practice. Like God will take your obedience and he will speak to you and he will guide you in a powerful way on any of those five. And I think that our expectations of what God wants to do and will do is down here. And we need to bring it in line with scripture that says, God doesn't just work in little things. God works in big things. And Ephesians tells us he is able to do even more than we could ask or imagine. That God's bar is set high. That his power on display through the church, his expectation is that he's going to work miracles through people like you and me. And we understand, okay, God's power is at work, you know, somewhere in the world. But pay attention to what it says in verse 20 at the end. It says, according to his power that at, is at work in us. God wants to display his power through you. But he is not going to display his power through intentional or unintentional disobedience. He's going to display his power through someone who chooses, and you can choose, someone who chooses to be devoted to his word, devoted to prayer, devoted to fellowship. So there's a choice of, do I allow other things to continue to squeeze living for God out of my life? Or do I make room for what God wants to do? And if you take this seriously, I know it's gonna cost you a little of something. But I hope that you have a high expectation. If I begin to pray, God is gonna be with me in a way that pushes that anxiety out. If I begin to pray, God is gonna to begin to open up the doors that, I, that have not been able to open. Set your expectation high. And begin to devote yourself to what God is asking you to do. And I'm gonna tell you, he will do more than you can ask or imagine. That's what scripture teaches us. So the, the question, the landing point is, where, where do you need to make room? What needs to be displaced in your life so that God can have the proper space in your life? I'm gonna pray, and as I do, I want you to just ready your heart and listen for God. Follow where he leads you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just open our hearts before you right now. And your word is a lamp unto our feet time spent in prayer and in your presence it is satisfying to the soul and we've let so many things push you out of our life and so just would you speak to us now and convict and guide our heart right now where do we need to make adjustments where do we need to bring our life into alignment with what your scripture teaches and I would I pray that you would impress upon us the step that we need to take this week and help us to commit 
to wherever it is that you're leading so that we can experience all that you want for us. And even more than the fact that we get to experience blessing, Lord, help us to do it because we know that you are worthy. You are worthy of all the praise. You are worthy of all the time. You are worthy of all the energy. You are worthy of our worship and our heart's devotion. We give you praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?